Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Pod Peanut, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend, Sports Illustrated senior writer Chris Herring. Chris, it is April Fool's Day. Uh, do you like April Fool's Day? Do you have any favorite or most memorable April Fool's jokes that you've played or had played on you? Are you are you just in general an April Fool's Day person, or, or do you do you despise it? I don't like april fool's day very much um (laughs) i don't have anything super super memorable but what i do remember a little bit was um i so some people know this but not probably that many um i didn't start covering sports you know when i was uh, out of college i covered news for a couple years i covered law covered crime covered politics um at the wall street journal but also when I was in college, while I did start covering sports at the school newspaper, um, I switched over in the middle of college just because I figured at some point someone might be interested in hiring me for the news side or that I at least wanted to have that background knowledge. So I, I at one point became the news editor of the school paper at Michigan. Um, and somebody, I can't remember if it was like that the that the police department more or less had like played a prank or if it was that a news outlet maybe played a prank and like quoted someone from the police department. So it had us in the newsroom like freaking out to cover something that actually hadn't happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just kind of like terrifying and the sort of stuff that like you'll skip a class for, which I took my academics pretty seriously at Michigan and they, they were certainly secondary to my, my journalism because that, I knew that was what I wanted to do and I took it really seriously. But for someone that takes something seriously or that you're used to having to take things seriously because you cover the news, um, 
it's not very fun. April Fool's Day. I don't like being made a fool. So this um, day is, is traumatizing for you. Is basically it can be. I can't remember. It, it couldn't have been that traumatizing because I can't remember exactly what it was, uh, what the story was. I'd have to go back and look. But I just remember not being happy and having moved like heaven and earth for something that wasn't actually a real story. So I was just like, I could have been in class. I could have like not bothered four of my reporters, you know, like pull them out of class or like have them get rid. You know, I can't remember, but it also shows I probably should have just like verified everything right off the bat before dropping all my plans. But I don't know. You, I don't know. It, I, I remember not being happy. I'll put it that way. And uh, my first experience with that. Otherwise, I'd probably think uh, April Fool's is funny. What about you? Have you had anything? Well, I was just going to say, I, I have a secret, I had a secret outline full of all these wonderful April Fool's jokes, and now I'm just going to have to scrap the whole thing for today's show. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to be cool, but I guess not. Yeah, I mean, if I know in advance, hell, but I mean, I <laughs> think that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the point. Maybe if we, I, mean, I don't know, this is a week of people debating all along whether something had happened, whether it was scripted or not, or whether it was just, um, you know, a joke, so... Maybe we got uh, April Fool's started really early. Although, to me, the Will Smith thing was never... It was very clear, very quickly, that it was not a prank, not a joke, not scripted. He followed that man's career long enough. That is not of the ordinary. And for people that keep saying, oh, it was for the ratings. Like, who did people tune in after it happened? Like, you either saw them live or you didn't. And if you didn't see it, then, you know, there were only 30 minutes left in the show. So I don't think that that was for rating purposes. But anyway, neither here nor there. But but I, I, I do love April Fool's. Um, sadly, I feel like I'm aging out of making the type of pranks that I grew up making. And my wife uh, has basically warned me that she's she'll leave me if I, I play another April Fool's Day oh, prank on her. So we're, I, I, I don't know... Where I'm at with that, it, it was basically just gonna be me saying like I'm picking R.J. Barrett for my All NBA team, and then that's that was wait, as far wait, as I wait, was gonna wait, take. Wait, 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 wait! Before we get into this, so now we've officially broached basketball, but before we get all the way into this podcast, you've you've already stepped in it, so now you've got to explain. It, you, I'm, I'm sure you're joking on some level. I hope you are. The wife threatened to leave you if you do one more of these can you walk me through one that you've played on her that either was really funny or didn't go over so well because it was too funny they're so um inappropriate looking back that i, I actually <laughs> i don't want to say them publicly <laughs> you don't okay. want to get left for that reason either okay <laughs> exactly they're they're really bad looking back on it they were really good ideas um heading in and now that i <laughs> With hindsight, um, probably should not have done them. So I'm gonna just I'm gonna back away from this entire conversation <laughs> right now. Okay, <laughs> I regret bringing it up in the first place. Um, okay, so Chris, on today's episode, we will be filling out part of our awards ballots and opening up the mailbag to answer a few questions. But first, a quick reminder to our wonderful listeners to please keep your emails coming to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Uh, I expect a ton of wonderful emails with the playoffs right around the corner with um, end of season awards coming up next week. It's, it's big time. Big times in the NBA season on the NBA calendar. So please, I know all of our wonderful 
listeners in the open floor globe are up to it and I'm, my expectations are through the roof. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, All right, so Chris, I want to open up today's show with a quick Giannis Antetokounmpo-related question for you. Last night in Brooklyn, the two-time MVP finished with 44 points, 14 rebounds, six assists. He hit a game-tying step-back three over Andre Drummond with 18 seconds left in regulation. Um, Then right after KD made three free throws to put Brooklyn up one with eight seconds left in overtime, Giannis just decided to rumble coast-to-coast, draw a foul at the rim, make both free throws, and win the game. Very casual, very typical of him. Um, Is Giannis just going to win MVP? What what are your thoughts here? Uh, No, I'm not necessarily convinced of that. I mean, I'm I'm not going to rule it out. But I will say that there is part of me that kind of feels like Maybe this is sewn up already, just in people's minds. Not that someone has definitively won. One thing I've been really uh, intrigued by, or kind of found to be interesting, is that you know Tim Bontemps, our friend over at ESPN, has done straw polls like he always does, uh, multiple times a year over there. Um, I can't remember a year in which the the person winning the race shifted each time he did it. Normally, it's pretty consistent, or it's trending in a direction last year it was trending really heavily in Jokic's favor just because you know he was like kind of the last person standing he also was having like a sensational sensational year so it was not just a battle of attrition and he won it but it was trending in that direction because other guys had been injured with this one I think we started with Steph it landed on Embiid now it's Jokic so it's it's kind of weird but you haven't seen Giannis in that conversation and Giannis has kind of been a metronome more or less all season. Now, he's been brilliant lately, but he's been really, really good all year. Milwaukee's been in pretty good position standings-wise all year, so that part of it's not fundamentally going to shift all of a sudden. Um, so I'm not really sure what more he can do unless he's got more nationally televised appearances like that one where people are watching and, and really grading on a different sort of curve or scale. But I kind of feel like it's mostly a two-man race. Giannis kind of feels like he's going to be everybody's third choice. Maybe he'll steal some first-place votes. Um, or maybe he'll get enough second-place votes if people feel kind of, I won't say ambivalent, but if they don't, if they really feel like either Jokic or Embiid is kind of overrated in the conversation, maybe Giannis slides in that way. But I don't know if it'll be such a big jumping off the bus or, you know, 
I don't think it's going to be such a massive shift in one direction or the other that will give Giannis an opening to win it. But I think he deserves it. Look, you know how I feel about him in terms of where I, I put him kind I know of in who the, I'm talking to. the pantheon of everything. So I haven't, I haven't ruled him out. Um, I, I don't know. I was telling you before the podcast, like my mind's really not made up with a lot of these awards right now at all. Um, and every time you kind of think, well, Giannis, we, we know what he can do on offense. And we kind of know what he can do on defense, but like he always does something else where you're just like, holy hell. Like he won a game with defense earlier in the week against Philly. Hell, literally like took points off the board, literally, um, in a game-saving situation that just won a game for them. Uh, and you, you can't say enough about just how dominant a defender he is in a non-traditional sort of way. So I don't think he's going to get there, but um, – it would be really cool to see him tighten it just to make it more interesting. And it seems like that's what he's trying his best to do. Yeah, I think maybe I should have worded the question. First of all, I think I'm going to have Giannis second on my ballot for Interesting. MVP. Okay. Um, RJ Barrett, number one, of course. But um, April Fool's. But I will <laughs> – my question, maybe I should have worded it like – do you think these late season games, because the race is so tight, I think there's, I think it's a three person race with Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis in some order. People are going to have them in whatever order they want. Right. But all these players are on national television of late, particularly Embiid, particularly Giannis. And do you think these games like are extra powerful because of where they're at in the season and? Like, Giannis has this nationally televised game. Um, the Bucks play the Celtics next Thursday, which could be a pretty important game. And if he has 40, 15, and 8, and the Bucks win um, in a close game or something like that, or even if not a close game, like, I feel like that could, that one game plus this, that yesterday's game plus that Sixers game could, like, really tilt a lot of. And it's just like recency bias, right? Or what? Like, I feel like these individual games are very, very important in the calculus. Maybe more than they should be. I don't know how I feel about any any of that. I mean, I it's a it's a it should be a body of work thing. Um, I mean, yes, when it's against a good opponent, you probably do mentally weigh that more heavily. Um, <laughs> I mean, the weird thing about it, though. The Celtics, for instance, like if you're looking at like how someone's performed against good opponents, the Celtics weren't good at the beginning of the season. Uh, so Giannis has had games where he's had 40 and 15. So has Jokic. So has Embiid. They've all done this throughout the year, and so that I don't feel like the opinion should be shifting like wholly over mm-hmm. over the last few games, even if they feel more important. Um, but I'm sure they will with some people. I'm sure other people, the ballots are out now. So I'm sure some people will probably start filling them out now, which I don't know how I feel about that either, given you what wait. we're saying. Like, I would really prefer that people wait. Uh, I know I'm certainly going to be using this weekend to kind of study and, and put together thoughts and stuff like that. But I, I would really prefer that people wait because of what you're saying. Um, you know, I know the Heisman voting has always been really interesting from that perspective in terms of the outstanding ballots, how quickly some are returned, and then the idea of um, 
certain teams, like for instance, I remember during those years where USC was really good, um, in our within our lifetime, obviously, um, where I think they had what was it three, was it three Heisman's they had within like a five year span? I think they had like Carson Palmer, Matt Leinart, and Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush, um, yeah. And it was interesting because like a lot of people kind of admittedly don't stay awake to watch the West Coast games and football and basketball, what have you, unless it's a really big game. And so you had that one really big game every year where Notre Dame and USC would play, and it had implications for more than just the Heisman. But it was kind of a huge showcase game for people that didn't get to watch USC or weren't watching USC every year. So I'm sure some people will treat these games that way. I, I hate almost nothing more than kind of putting so much importance on one game I think we were all kind of mentally prepared to do some of that when Jokic and Embiid played on TNT a couple weeks back. And it was a fine game. They both played pretty well. They both mm-hmm. had really nice moments. Uh, the Nuggets won. But it, like, it, it, it doesn't always live up to that billing, and it shouldn't have to because they literally play 82 times a year. Um, so I, I, I hope people don't weigh it too much, but I also hope that they weigh it enough to where they're not just turning in their ballots like tomorrow or today when – if if you if we all can acknowledge it feels pretty close, let, let's let the rest of it play out. Does someone get hurt for the rest of the season, and you know th- their games played is a lot different than maybe one of the other candidates, what have you? So um, I hope people don't weigh it too heavily, but I'm, I hope that people are watching. Yeah, on one hand, I feel like I'm going to wait as well because this ballot is also tied to. Um, all NBA and yeah. all NBA is where it gets it's really tight with a lot of these guys for me. Um, yep. But I'm going to be waiting, of course. But I also like Jokic is going to be my number one. I think, regardless, I don't think anything could happen that upends that because, as you said, like it's an 82 game season and you have to calculate all of it. You have to, to everything matters. So the body of work that he's already presented to me is it's really diff- it's going to be really difficult for Giannis to to overtake him or for Embiid to overtake him. Um speaking of Embiid, we have an email from a listener named John who writes in the three first round series wins all 4-1 the Sixers have since 2018, Embiid missed 2-1 and 1 games. He averaged 30.4, 24.8 and 23.8 minutes per game in those series. Given Embiid's play and the acquisition of Harden, it seems very unlikely the less-than-four win streak will continue after this season, but I wanted to ask, should I disregard this trend as a fluke-slash-coincidence, or am I crazy for seriously doubting Embiid's ability to win four games in a playoff series? Optimistically, I view all of this as a rising young star gaining tough playoff experience. Pessimistically, I view it as someone whose style or physicality is not built to lead a team through a full NBA postseason. John, very interesting email. Hmm. I did not I did not go back and fact check you, so um, I'm just assuming this is right, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I do not. I think it sounds right to me that because I know that Embiid has missed games in playoff series. Um uh, throughout his career when Philadelphia has advanced and the Sixers have never advanced past the second round since he has been there. So this all checks out to me. Um, Chris, I'm just going to throw it to you. Uh, is this just a weird thing that doesn't mean anything? Or is there something to this very odd, fluky, statistical note that John has found? 
No, I, I think there's probably something to it. Um, I mean, if I remember correctly with some of the stuff, it's been different things that have held him out. Um, I want to say, unless I'm mixing it up with something that happened in a regular season, one of those years he had like a stomach thing going on. Um, he was sick. It was yeah. kicking him out. Against he, was, the he, Nets. he was sick. Yeah. Um, and I remember Stephen A. kind of going in about him, going in on him about that and like eating habits. I don't even know if that's what it was. Uh, there's certainly been stuff out there. Your own Weitzman wrote a fantastic book about this, the process era Sixers kind of digging into Embiid's eating habits. But I don't know if that's what it was for that series. But he's had different stuff. I mean, he's also been incredible when he can play. Um, and, it, you know, the plus-minus numbers have been, like, embarrassingly bad for the rest of his teammates when he's been fantastic. He also has not really had a second guy to lean on that was more of a scorer. So I, I'll i give Embiid the benefit of the doubt up till now, um, given that this is kind of the first year where – COVID and that stuff aside, which he had and, you know, it seemed like he struggled with for a little bit and he was out for a while when he got it. Um, he's been healthy this year just from a physical standpoint. He falls down just as much as before. I've written about that before. Um, mm-hmm. But he, I mean, he's been healthy and we've watched players. I guess it's kind of weird to talk about Steph and how healthy he's been over the years since he kind of had the ankle issues. But obviously, you know, he's out now. But Steph has kind of had a turnaround like that where, for the most part, we always thought of him as being injury-prone, and then all of a sudden he was always healthy. So maybe Embiid is rounding that corner, turning that corner. Maybe he's just kind of figured out how to take care of his body. He's eaten better over the last few years and kind of taken better care of his body. So, no, it's legitimate what he's saying. I, I think that, um, you know, here's a year where you can change that narrative if you're Embiid and and he has done a good job of that in the regular season, so I'm curious to see what happens in the playoffs, especially with Harden. Which, by the way, um, you know, I'm going to take one issue with what Shot said here, where he said basically it seems like that trend will end. Of you know, um, I know. Basically, I, know. I'm, I don't know if we can say that with how they look, and in particular, Harden has just looked so not aggressive and not very good. They lost again last night to the Pistons in which Harden was horrible and Doc essentially, whether he sought to or not, kind of pinned some of it on Harden when the reporter asked a question about the bench and how poorly the bench played. He was like, oh, that was basically James missing a lot of those shots. Uh, he more or less said that. So, And it, it was accurate, by the way, but Harden just has not looked impactful um, in moments where you would expect that that's where you can take some of the pressure off Embiid. And uh, I don't know if it's just a blip, but like we've seen so many times now where Harden hasn't risen to the occasion over his career. So it it, it has the potential to kind of shift the way we think about Embiid a little bit. Although, you know, he's an MVP candidate. We think highly of him. But it really has the, you know, the possibility of like shifting the way we think about Harden or solidifying what our perception of him has been when he has a chance to rise to the occasion and does not. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, I watched the clip of Doc saying that, and I can't tell. I, I can't tell if he was like calling out James or saying that James took the shots when the bench was on the floor, and that's why the bench struggled. I, I like didn't really. I was unable to decipher exactly what was True. going on there. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this is a whole different conversation, but. Heart, like it's you look at the Sixers and it's like they could really, really use Seth Curry and Andre Drummond 
right now. That's like, yeah. Uh, when I look at them playing, I'm like, those are the two two exact type of players that this team needs right now. Yeah. Um, and it's tough. I, you would you would think that Harden will turn it on in the playoffs um, and look like his former self on a more consistent basis. Um, maybe expecting them to kind of hit the ground running together through um, a several week span without any hiccups was too much. Um, Embiid and Harden and, and all the pieces around them trying to fit in around those two trying to figure it out. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if if the Sixers lost in the first round. Frankly, depending on the matchup, um, which is crazy because we were. I mean, a couple weeks ago was it the first four games they played together or three? Um, you know how, how the Maxi Knicks. looked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We competition certainly, but like still, even in light of that, um, Harden looked rejuvenated. Or maybe he wasn't. Maybe he didn't really, really need to be rejuvenated. Like he looked like he was trying really hard, uh, relative to what we saw in Brooklyn. And uh, so it just sky was the limit for a week and a half, two weeks. And you know, sky has not. The sky's been looked a lot more limited lately. <laughs> kind of looks like more of a ceiling than a sky. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know, but like I don't think Embiid is going to be what we're looking at here. I, I kind of trust him to make it through this postseason. I think he knows what's at stake. I think he is making a more concerted effort to take care of himself. Um, and he hasn't really had injuries this year in the way that we normally think about. So hasn't even needed really to take time on back-to-backs the way he always used to and stuff like that. So. Right. There was a really interesting quote, and in, uh, our colleague Chris Mannix wrote a feature about Joel Embiid and had a long conversation with him out in L.A. And there was a little bit in there i think drew hanlon his his personal skills trainer had a quote about how people would be surprised by the amount of pain that joel Embiid plays through on a regular basis which i thought was pretty interesting um and i guess we'll see uh if any of that flares up in the playoffs when Good point his his usage will be high uh the game is more physical um a lot of the touch fouls that get called in the regular season do not get called in the playoffs and he is very efficient in large part because he gets sent to the free throw line so frequently so it, mm-hmm. it'll be it'll be interesting to see just if his game shifts if he posts up more which i would really love to see not to put on my shaquille o'neal uh, <laughs> hat or anything like that but i would like to see him get a little bit more physical and maybe he there's a there's a correlation there between um his you know the beating that he takes doing that with how many minutes and how much time he's able to spend on the floor there are some things that are too good to keep a secret like how your amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip i'd like to check into the centurion lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables Ooh, yum and how you get the most out of select can't miss events with access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Um, okay, switching gears. We have an email from Ben that I promised Ben we would answer. We teased it a few weeks back. Uh, ben writes, hello, Michael, Rohan, and Chris. I have been a big fan of the pod since the Sharp Golliver Day. Shout out to Andrew Sharp and Ben Golliver, of course, and love the work you guys have all done. I am a forlorn Knicks fan of 20 plus years who is struggling to find bright spots in what has been yet another complete disappointment of a season. However, after a poor start, RJ Barrett has proven to be an all star in the making. Since the break, he's averaging 25.7 points, 6.5 rebounds, and 3.7 assists per game. His usage is 30.6. My question is, just how high should I be on RJ as a franchise building block? What is the best way for us to build around him? And is there any hope RJ and Julius Randle will work out as a pair? Or should we take any 80 cents on the dollar offer for Randle that we can get in the offseason? Many thanks and keep up the great work. Uh, P.S. Shout out to Chris for the amazing Blood in the Garden. I loved every page. Uh, Thank Thank you for that. Appreciate you, man. So, Chris, uh, the Knicks, RJ Barrett, uh, Ben wrote this email to us a few weeks back, so I amended it to discuss, to include stats from the All-Star break. I mean, RJ Barrett looks really good. I did not think he would look this good this season, I'm not going to lie, or this early in his career, I should say. Um, What are your thoughts about, I guess, RJ his development, his trajectory, uh, his status as just a blue chip prospect, and what all of this means for the New York Knicks, which are, which is a team that is, uh, yeah, it's in turmoil again, and their their path towards anything, towards towards actual relevance, towards actual actually being a team on the rise and, and able to build on the momentum that they established last season, just. It just doesn't. I don't see it. So, what what are your thoughts here, broadly speaking? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been really encouraging to see it, to watch it um, for RJ. I think for him, the question, and I said this before. I think I might have been the only guy um, among our crew that kind of did the top one hundred who who had him in the hundred, and it was you know it was near the bottom, but I was the only one that had him in there. Um, and look, I didn't, you know, even with how he's played lately, I didn't have anything to gloat about as far as him looking better because he'd had really rough patches during the season, which he always does. Uh, he's not the most consistent player. So I think what had been encouraging post all-star break from him is that you're seeing him get downhill. He's not, I mean, the thing with RJ is like not, there's not any one thing about you that impresses about him that impresses you so much. He's not the most athletic guy. He's not the smoothest. Like, he doesn't have the greatest moves. Uh, he's not the greatest shooter. He's not super great at getting to the line. And even if he gets there, he's not a good shooter from the line for the position that he plays. Um, but he's good enough at all those things, seemingly. And particularly when you take into account how young he is, that's what you like. I think the challenge with it is that 
very rarely do you kind of see games where it's like him and Randall playing well together. Uh, him playing really well and getting his and Randall getting his too. There were some games last year where you had that be the case. I'm, I'm sure there have been a few this year. Um, but it kind of felt like RJ was just taking over. And quite frankly, they needed someone to do that because Randall has not been very good this year. He has not been very efficient. So it's been incredibly encouraging to see. I think the consistency is the bigger key. I think a lot of it, quite frankly, when I think about their future, I'm kind of past the point now of looking at Randall as a number one guy. Um, I think <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I mean, like last year was what it was. Uh, you and, and everybody else, basically, uh, with the exception of me, I thought he had the potential to at least kind of replicate some of what he did. I, I probably had too much faith in Kemba and Fournier as being guys that could kind of take some of the load off him and maybe set him up to get more open shots to kind of replicate some of the numbers he had last year. Clearly, that didn't happen. But my thought process on when they brought Randall in versus then and now is really Randall was never meant to be your number one guy, maybe for a year, maybe for two. Maybe after last year, you had more faith that he could come in and do that this year. You always were going to hope to have somebody better than Randall kind of sign on to play here in New York with this team. Mm -hmm. The question that I think some people have now is like, can RJ be that guy? And he's young enough to where I think there's maybe some potential for that. I'm not completely sold on that. Obviously, the numbers are what they are, but the efficiency numbers are still not great, um, which to me kind of signals if he's your number one guy, I don't know that it's going to translate to enough winning to where you're thrilled with that. But he's young enough to where we could see a jump. I mean, if, if maybe it's not that complicated. Maybe if he just gets more accurate at the line, um, maybe that's enough. But I, I, I'd still like really, really like to see the man, just for the sake of all of us, a point guard at some point. A starting caliber point guard. Maybe you're going to try to slide quickly into that. Uh, he's shown some chops, certainly, you know, in the, in the late stages of the season and been much better. Uh, maybe you'll get Rose back healthy next year. But I'd really like to see them just add somebody that takes the pressure. If Randall's still there, takes the pressure off him. And quite frankly, takes the pressure off RJ to where I don't know that you want RJ to be a guy that has to get you 26, 7, and 5 every night based on what we've seen out of his efficiency so far. Like, he can do it, but I don't know that you should want him to. Um, so, I don't know. It, it's, it's kind of a complicated question, but I don't think he's shown quite enough consistently yet to say that you want him to be that guy um, on his level of efficiency for now. But he's young. He can improve. So, we'll see. He's not Zion. He's not Ja. He's not Luca. He's not Trey. He's not one of these young... Like, we need to do everything we can to build around this player. But I will say, over the past few months, whenever I watch him play, he's increasingly intrigued me. Not that I didn't think he was good or anything before, but I would have bet the under on over-under 2.5 All-Star games in his career. Now I'd probably I think about that a little bit harder. Um, and honestly... You know, sometimes we talk about guys who are in smaller markets and just how unfairly they're overlooked. I kind of feel like if R.J. Barrett was in a smaller market, he would be this, like, league pass darling. And he would be viewed in this completely different light than he is. Where, like, yeah. he's still only 21 years old. 
He's yeah. averaging like 20 and 6, and I know the efficiency isn't there, but he's starting to get to the free throw line a little bit more. And when he's not on the floor with Randall, he's pretty like his usage is just it's I know it's absurd. I know, and but I don't. But I don't know that I want it to be not, not okay. because I don't want no, the dude fair. to shine. It's just that I think I, I just I just think at a certain point, and I think this is kind of what happened. The, the difference is RJ's doing it in a more sustainable way than what Randall did last year. But Randall had a breakout season. RJ has had somewhat close to like a breakout second half and like part of what you just alluded to was expectations and the idea of kind of like if he was in a smaller market so now the expectations are going to be such next year to where you hope that rj doesn't come in feeling like he has to do it or has to carry it but if that happens does it have kind of like a a corrosive effect on the way he plays or does his shot selection become such to where it, it hurts the team. Does he start overlooking guys that he should be passing to because he's got to be the guy? I remember when I covered the Knicks, Porzingis said he started doing that. And it, you saw it with the shot. Like, basically, I remember writing a story about how Carmelo's shot selection had basically become Porzingis's by the time Carmelo left or by the time mm-hmm. Porzingis really mm-hmm. inherited that role. And he right. went from being a guy that had some of the best shot attempts and like uh, expected shot percentage or whatever it is that Second Spectrum had to uh, the shot difficulty and everything to like being one of the bottom seven or eight guys, which is where Carmelo always ranked. So I, that stuff exists, and it's, it's not just me saying it for the, the hell of it, but I don't really want to see him devolve into like taking over situations where he really doesn't have to just because he's got to wear it on his sleeve and he's got to put it on his shoulders. Like ideally, and this is what I was saying about Randall, you would be able to get more talent, whether it's through a trade because a star wants to come there, which obviously it has not happened in a long, long time, or because they get another guy in a draft or anything else. Anything. Somebody else who can help Randall slide over and be a number two or a number three guy and, and allow RJ to be your number two or to have a guy that's at RJ's level as he progresses. I just don't know how it happens. But I I mean, there's nothing but good feelings about the way RJ's played in the second half. I just don't want to turn it into let's keep adding more to his plate necessarily at right. a level that's not sustainable. And that's what I think about and worry about. But I'm right there with you that after – I mean, at this point now – Zion until we see the guy come back like you have to be pretty thrilled about RJ being he's been the second most consistently productive guy in this class uh Zion has not been consistently healthy um so you can't obviously he's the guy that you know when he's healthy and running you would rather have him but RJ has really not suffered from any injuries he's been consistently on the floor um and you know Mm -hmm. if he can get more consistent with what he's done the second half uh he'll be an all-star at some point I, I feel pretty good about that yeah, obviously, uh, the Zion thing is more about like ceiling and potential, and you, but you, you of course understand that. Um, I think like if the Knicks just took the posture of a normal rebuilding team, which they should, then all of this would be fine. You have some really intriguing pieces quickly topping um, uh, whatever draft picks come in over the next couple of years, and just slow roll it i think the free agency thing is like just like stop you're so far away from winning anything like winning a playoff series you're so far away and 
I'm not comparing Barrett to Luca, but but <laughs> I do think the Knicks. Sh- I do I do think the Knicks should consider making the type of trade that the Mavericks did with Porzingis, where it's just like we just have to get rid of Julius Randle. Just give us a mm-hmm. couple role players back who just make a little bit more sense. Um, complimenting rj barrett in the short term like that's i feel like that's the type of trade honestly that new york should um explore this offseason i mean i think i don't know if you agree with me but i feel like this is the last we'll see of julius randall in new york i think they will aggressively look to move him this summer you have to you can't keep him around for another year based on his behavior this year is just wild uh and there's constantly rumors about Who's asking for a trade? And it's a mess. I don't think that that gets fixed. So I would, or you, would you, do you agree? First of all, do you agree with that? That this yeah. is Julius Randle's last year? I, I, I think it should be. I mean, I, I frankly was kind of surprised that they weren't moving heaven and earth to try to get him out of there before the trade deadline. I thought that that was the answer when you heard the talks of Sacramento coming up. Um, and you look at when Randall's played well this year, it's been when they're in like furious transition. I think about teams that play fast. That's one of the first that comes to mind. So it actually seemed like a good fit to me. I don't know what they would have gotten back. I mean, in a perfect Knicks world, if there's anything you could have added or traded or thrown in, even if it was top end potentially, which I know they would, you know, Knicks fans would, would cry if that was the case. If there was anything you could have gotten done to get Halliburton back, um, including Randall, including first. Like, I don't know what would have needed to be there. But again, the thing that this team has been missing for the better part of 25 years has been a point guard. Um, so the fact that you just watched him, you know, granted, and we talked about Sabonis. I understand Sabonis had more value, has more value than Randall. But um, like, if there was something realistically that you could have traded, I mean, Randall's contract is heavy, but it's not the worst we've ever seen the guy was an all nba player last year so it's it's i mean in in a better situation maybe like you said in a place where you're rebuilding in a normal way and you don't have the new york expectations and hopes on you somebody could be more productive if the knicks could have done anything if they knew that halliburton would could potentially be had and it was just going to require some picks on top of throwing randall out there and you know they should have done it in a heartbeat if, if it was realistic for them. I, maybe it wasn't, but that, that would have solved a lot of their problems. It would have set up Barrett really well, a guy that is not selfish with the ball, a guy that can shoot, a guy that defends. It would have been perfect for them. Uh, but You, know, you know. know what the Knicks should have done, Chris? The Knicks should have drafted Tyrese Halliburton. That's probably what they should have done. That would have helped as well. <laughs> that, that would have helped. <laughs> um, but... No, I just I, I think that this is really it's fascinating because I, I feel like this organization is particularly lost in the wilderness and um, it's really hard to find a trade partner for Randall. I think his value is I think it might be a little bit lower to me than how you're presenting it. Um well, I'm talking about like at the trade deadline. It's been bad right. all year, but like since then, you're absolutely right that like there's just I feel like every week there's something new with the fans, like with the stuff his wife posts. Um, mm-hmm. 
You know, I will completely say, and I think that this is going to be a bigger part of the conversation going forward in sports generally, is like the mental health side of this stuff is real. I'm not trying to pontificate at all on his mental health, but when you're having press conferences and you're saying, and I think he has every right to say this, by the way, that that his son has to leave games or that you know his wife has to leave games with his son because people are booing him or that they're chanting at him and stuff like that, um, and that his son is crying and doesn't understand why it's happening. Like, that's rough. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not here to be the arbiter of like where the line should be, but it's rough. You, you consider that there have been the talks of like maybe him wanting out, which he denied. Um, I would understand if someone wanted out. I also will say this in in his slight defense. I'm not here trying to defend Julius Randle. Um, the the situation changed a lot this year on him, where he had an All NBA season. He led a, a team that nobody thought anything about, had any expectations for last year. Right. to the playoffs. Um, and all of a sudden, the, the, you know, it was not enough in the playoffs. So they went out and got you more. But in doing that, these were guys that were taking the ball out of your hands to some extent. And then those guys weren't good at the beginning of the season. Fournier's played better. Um, Kimba was essentially out of the rotation within a month of them getting him. Um, and then, you know, whether or not he feels good about it or should, a good teammate would. But... Then you watch Barrett kind of take over and get all the plaudits for like what's happened in the second half, them playing better, them you know going on a win streak, whatever, and you're watching them play better without you. If there are sour grapes there, I kind of understand it um, because, look, you were responsible for a lot of what happened last year, but last year was last year. This year is this year. Part of being a good teammate is trying to roll with the punches as best you can. And just wanting to win no matter how it looks. He walked off the court the other day after they won. He just like stormed straight to the the locker. Straight up straight up bizarre. Like it was just weird. And so it was a win. I don't you can't you can't that certain stuff is indefensible. Like I said, I don't know what else is happening with them outside of basketball if there is anything. But it's just like the vibes are such, I think, to where you have to move them. And uh not to mention that, like, maybe potentially for RJ's development, that you might want to move him anyway just because he's played so much better and the team has been so much better with him off the floor. So I think you got to find something. I was not trying to suggest that his trade value is high when I mentioned sure. Halbert. And all I was saying is that at the time when you were having those conversations, I'm sure the Knicks were probably hoping to get someone like uh, De'Aaron Fox at the time, which, you know, and granted, like, he had not been great this year either, but. If you're having a conversation for someone of his caliber, and then you watch the, the team right. that you're trying to potentially trade with trade Halliburton somewhere else, like it, all I'm saying is that there's some conversation to be had. Doesn't mean that they would have said yes. I don't know what you would have needed to add, or if it would even be realistic to throw everything you have at a trade like that. But I'm just saying that unless they were asking for like three firsts or something like that, and Randall. Like there, there should have been a conversation there if there wasn't, uh, because Halliburton is that good, and I think he would have kind of changed the outlook immediately for a team like the Knicks, given what they've needed for years and someone that would set up your other guys really, really well. But that's all I was saying. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my! Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I want to ask you this, and then we're going to move on to our awards ballots. Awards ballots. Um, Russell Westbrook. Would a Julius Randle for Westbrook type? I know there's other stuff that has to be involved. Does that make sense to you? No, no, I don't think it does. Just because, um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of how crazy Thibodeau will go if he has to coach for us on defense. Um, I, I just think I don't like the. Keep in mind what we were saying before about this has been our, our question the whole year. And granted, we're talking about LeBron versus Barrett. But if if the situation is the reason I love Halliburton so much and guys like that is that he's used to playing without the ball. He doesn't always have to have the ball. You can put him alongside another guard or another ball handler, and it's not him kind of dribbling the air out of the ball. Um, Russ will potentially do that at times, and I just kind of feel like part of the issue with Randall before last year at least, and I think – at times, sometimes this year, is just the spacing has been bad for the Knicks. And frankly, what would have really helped Randall is like a Miles Turner sort of trade to get a stretch five. Instead, they've had Mitchell Robinson mm-hmm. there all year, who was not really there last year, um, and Nerlens Noel and guys like that. So to bring in Russ, I just kind of feel like you cramp that further, and you, you're and you're taking the ball out of RJ's hand. So I don't I don't see that as the answer for him. I don't know where you send him either. I mean, normally we used to just always be able to talk about like Orlando is just yep. a dumping grounds, but no, nah, like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw hands at somebody if Orlando, like if anybody even tries to denigrate what people are doing down there in Orlando because I like what they're doing down there. So I don't know where Russ goes. It's it's not gonna be with the Lakers. I think we all know that. I don't know where you send him. I don't know if I don't know who willingly takes that on. Like I, I we've talked about untradeable deals, and we've always said like. There's never such thing as untradeable, but I don't know what like where does he go and like can the Lakers even attach something? They don't have any picks. Like I don't even know what you attach to get rid of them. I don't know. Yeah, I I could go on with why I I think that makes sense, but I'm too uh it's too depressing and Do you believe frankly, it? Do you, do you do you think that they should the Knicks? Well, it's like if you're the Knicks, it's you're basically like we're getting off this contract for one year of Russell Westbrook. We do need a point guard. He can soak up. I mean, like, what are you doing next year if you're the Knicks? Does you're Russell only have one more year left on his deal? I'm sitting there arguing definitively. No, 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 no. He's got one year left. Yeah, he's got the player option. So it's like 40 something million one year. Uh, that's doable. You can just sit with that for another year of pain, I think, as opposed to, and I, I, look, I'm not like surveying the entire league, but I just don't know what else you can get for Randall. I don't know yeah. who was interested. My answer is still no, but it's not as definitive as it was before. Like, I don't think I'd want to do that, but I, I thought Russ had more time left on his deal than that. That's my bad. Okay. That makes more sense from that, with that framing. 
when when it happens, you heard it here first. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's transition now to our um, awards ballots. Uh, Chris, I gave you in the outline. Th- there's three awards here that I want to talk about: most improved player, sixth man of the year, and defensive player of the year. Um, I'm just gonna get sixth man of the year. Let's get sixth man of the year out of the way. Off yeah, the top. man. It's yeah. it's like it's kind of brutal. Um, so my I only have one is, name on my ballot. Yeah, I, I honestly struggled. I have three names. I don't feel anything about two of them. I'm like I just had to put players here. Right. Uh, so number one, Tyler Hero. He's gonna win. I think he's gonna win unanimously. I can't think of anyone who would vote any other player in this slot. Um, the case is obvious. Uh, my other two players, I'm just going to say their names, are Bogdan Bogdanovich on the Hawks, who was like a starter earlier in the year, and then they moved him to the bench, and he's been playing pretty well. And Luke Kennard on the Clippers, who leads the league in three-point percentage. About him. And mm-hmm. is really awesome. I've always been a fan. Uh, yeah. Those are like the two um, names, and there's some other players that are just like kind of on that level uh, that you could probably quibble amongst for the two and the three but it's hero right. hero's gonna win so it's kind of a boring yeah it's super super boring and it's uh i mean to the point where like i honestly i told you that i was trying to write last night so i really didn't get a chance to really dig in and study on all these but like for this one i, I just wrote hero and moved on like because for me <laughs> studying who i'll have two and three didn't really seem to make a lot of sense when i had other stuff to look at but i'll figure out who to put there Kennard is certainly a name that, like, when I was looking at stuff last night, I was like, yeah, I could see him maybe being on my ballot. But, um, yeah, it, it's this is the clearest case I think there's been for anybody. And normally six-man is only a couple guys really in that conversation anyway. But this was just so easy um, and kind of boring. Can I ask you this without you sure. – if he is, without you telling me where he is on the list, do you have Hero? Any? Did you give him real thought to for most improved as well? Not really, to be honest. Okay, with me you. neither. Me neither. I was just curious. Um. Yeah, I feel like you get this award. Be happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> um. I wanna. I wanna jump to defensive player of the year, and then we'll get into most improved. If that's okay, because. I wrote about this earlier this season, um, a couple months ago, right before the All-Star break, just how wide open Defensive Player of the Year was. Mm-hmm. And it has not, it's still wide open, in my opinion. Um, there are some favorites. There are, uh, you know, if you just look at Vegas, there's odds where some players are more likely in the eyes of um, odds makers to win this award than others. But it, to me, it's a, there's like maybe five names, maybe six names that could reasonably win, and I wouldn't be shocked. Um, so I've been going back and forth on this. I spent basically all yesterday just looking at uh, Defensive Player of the Year candidates and trying to weigh their impact. And in general, it's so difficult to measure this stuff statistically and make a case statistically as it is. But, yeah, I guess, like, just philosophically, I'll start with this question for you. Um, Tim Bontemps wrote this article about guards versus bigs 
and he interviewed Marcus Smart, Mikhail Bridges, Joel Embiid, and Rudy Gobert for their opinions. Um, they're totally biased opinions about their own <laughs> defensive responsibilities. Um, do you feel like the big like big men have an unfair reign over this award? Yes, uh, historically in the league. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, because think about it. Like it's been. I think in that piece he had in there that it's been, I can't remember how long it said, but like it's been really decades since we've had a guard win yeah, the Gary award. Yeah, Gary Payton, I think at 96. Yeah, I mean, one. so we've, we've had a few guys, you know, Metal World Peace and, um, you know, Kawhi and, and, and Giannis, but it's it's not actually, yeah. So, I mean, it's been, you have to be so elite to do it as a wing where I feel like it's almost like not questioned at that point because you're that good. Um, whereas I feel like we, we just kind of bring back these names and, and granted like Rudy's been deserving, but I feel like this year, even the people that cover the jazz that normally are kind of vociferous in their support for Rudy and saying that he deserves it, he should get it. They're like, eh. you know, and I don't, I don't know if it's a fatigue on their part or like a, a mm-hmm. you know, he's obviously missed time, but you know, from his angle, Utah, man, Utah, first of all, their defense is already kind of, uh, but like when, when Rudy's been out this year, just like how horrible they look is, I, I almost feel like watching the film when Gobert's not there and when he's just missing stretches of games is almost like some of the best footage you could show for his yep. case. Um, because he's just like, he's that valuable. <clears throat> and obviously we've seen like when teams are able to pull him away and kind of neutralize him that way because the guards don't defend all that well how valuable he really is when he can just plan to play the role that he's really used to playing but it's it, i think we're overdue to kind of have more wings in the conversation and I, I, wings has the the way we think about wings has shifted when you have people like Giannis. but just like true wings bridges and um obviously marcus smart and players like that so it's cool to have them in this conversation um I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play, but I, I, it's cool to see them in the conversation and cool to to have them back in that conversation after this long. Because it, 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 I don't feel like we should be going two, three decades without getting, you know, two and a half decades without getting somebody, seeing someone win the award at that position, really. I 100% agree. I think their value, the guards and the wings, is... Uh overlooked entirely and harder to to gauge uh analytically and yeah there's a lot of different reasons for that and um i guess we're restricted just by the numbers we have access to uh in trying to to weigh this stuff but i'm gonna i'm gonna open it up now and just go through my ballot with you so number three for me is bam at a bio And the case for Bam, I guess the case against Bam is that he missed a lot of time. And I think he's only played 56 games this season. Mm -hmm. Um, He missed basically all those games like right at the same time, too, with the injury. Right. He had thumb surgery. He was out from December 1st to January 15th. When he is on the floor, uh, the Miami Heat just have the best defense in the league and he switches the most ball screens um basically 
uh, in the entire league and can jump out on anybody. He is the reason why Miami's defense can fluctuate from switching ball screens to blitzing ball screens to he can drop and hold his own and soft coverage at the rim, protect the rim. He can jostle with anybody on the glass. Uh, he can uh, anchor a 2-3 zone. He can be at the top of a 3-2 zone. He's, I mean, it's spam at a bio, like totally positionless, unbelievable. Uh, love watching him defend. He made one play earlier this season on uh, Nikola Vucevic where he switched out. I think it was on to Kobe White. And then when Kobe White threw the lob to Vooch at the rim, he like backtracked and blocked the lob. It was just like one of the most, it was basically Giannis's play in the finals on DeAndre Ayton. And it was just like, it's, this man is just incredible. So even though Bam hasn't played as many games as some of the other players here, uh, I just felt like icky leaving him off my ballot because like pound for pound, he's probably the best defender in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. That, look, I'm, I'm all for the idea of having somebody. Cause I think that's going to be my challenge is that normally I'm kind of a stickler with regards to games played um, in terms of that being a factor in something like defensive player of the year, MVP, um, but it's you have to take your foot off the pedal, or I have to take my foot off the pedal with that a little bit. Certainly in a year where everybody was missing time, everybody had the virus at one point or another for the most part, um, how do you weigh that? And like, even if your line is normally here for how many games you should normally have to play in a season, being more lenient with that, and particularly if you feel like this is the guy that maybe when he's out there is the most impactful of everybody, I feel like you finding room for them on the ballot, maybe not having them win, but putting them on the ballot somewhere, I think makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, there's so many numbers too. Like I can't remember them off the top of my head. Um, I know Cooper Moorhead who works for the Heat, but is also one of the best like analytics folks in the league. has had some great numbers on, on BAM and just kind of switchability and kind of when he's got a small uh, – I mean he's a he, he basically has the skills of a small and a big man's – a really mobile big man's body, but also, you know, can make the sorts of plays that we saw Giannis make in the finals where he's getting at the apex of the ball and just swatting Mm -hmm. somebody or, you know, you can't throw lobs over the top of him. You know, you can't really get around him when he, when he comes up to guard you in a high pick and roll, um, you know, or switches or what have you. So you're not going to hear an argument from me aside from the availability, but I don't even know that I would say rule him out because of availability in a year like this. So my next player um, is Jaron Jackson Jr. Hmm. Uh, you just wrote about Jaron Jackson Jr. a little bit in your piece on the Grizzlies, and you had a great stat in there about um, you know his ability to I think the the difference in field goal percentage for shots that he defends is was a second low the second I guess greatest impact on lessening field goal percentage versus a player's average field goal percentage when he's nearby among whatever the filters were. I can't even remember, but yeah. it was like four, it was four very... attempts a game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, he's played a ton. Uh, the Grizzlies have a very good defense when he's on the floor. Their defense when he is at the four is good next to Steven Adams. 
his defense when they're at the five, when he's at the five is just um, astronomically effective. So I love his versatility, leads the league in blocks. Um, and they're not like, I don't know. I feel like blocks is just like a really dumb stat sometimes to dictate these, these types of things. But when you watch them play, the intimidation factor, the types of blocks he gets where he'll switch out onto a small, kind of let them go by and just swat their layup off the glass. I love I love those blocks so much. Um, and, yeah, like, he's, he switches, he drops, he does it all. And he chases guys around screens when he's at the four, too, which I just I know. Is, is really awesome to see. I love that um, he does that and that he come, that he's, like, also talented and skilled enough offensively to come around screens and, like, call plays oh, yeah. for him to get jumpers it's from the absurd. top of the key. He's, a, he's yeah. like, one of the craziest things to watch just as far as that talent is. Anyway, go ahead. Now, his, his, his career as it unfolds is going to be amazing. Um, yeah. Love him. So he was number, number two. I had him number one for a while, and I, 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 I was going back and forth between who I eventually have number one and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. number one. Um, my actual number one, who I think is going to hold down this slot, we'll see over the next week and a half or whatever, is uh, to longtime listeners of the show, no, one's, no one should be surprised. Um, it's, it's Marcus Smart. He's uh, the best defender on the best defense. That's where I'll start with the case. Um, part of this is honestly, like, I think he's been, I think this is arguably his best defensive season, which is really saying something. He's been one of the best, if not the best defenders, most versatile defense defenders at his position for years. Uh, two-time first team um, first, first all defensive team in his career. And yeah, like the one stat that I'll cite with him that really just like exemplifies his, his, his impact is when he's on the floor, Boston's transition defense is one of the five best in the league. And when he's off the floor, their transition defense is bottom five in the league. And when you watch them play, it's just one of the small things he does. But the way he organizes everybody when it's a live ball and everyone's trying to get back and he's pointing and he's directing traffic, there's like no stat for that except for the, the stat I just gave, I guess. Um, but he's, uh, yeah, he's just, he's absolutely incredible defensive presence. Um, top 10 in deflections, top 10 in loose balls recovered, uh, all the hustle stats, can switch on to anybody, uh, can guard in the post, uh, draws fouls fighting over screens, um, as well as any player I've ever seen. And some of this is like a career achievement for me, where I'm like, I really want him to win the award because he's been doing this for so long. And some of it is I truly think he's the best defender. He's had the best defensive season in the league this season. So, yeah, that's my I don't think you can go wrong. I don't think you can go wrong with a couple of these guys, really. And even, like, frankly, I think a guy or two outside of it, you know, like I don't think Gobert is going to get it this year. But, like, I could, you know, 
as long as you're not just saying, well, let's just give it to him by default because he's won so many of them already. Like, I think you you can make your case for him. I, I do think on some level it would be a little bit strange, not that it should be held against him, but it would be a little bit strange to see the team's defense exposed in the postseason and then see some of those same problems cropping up now and still give him the award. Again, not that that should be held against him from a statistical standpoint, but it would be a little bit strange to – you know, it would it would it would be the equivalent, I think, of giving someone MVP. Um, like, I, to me, it seemed like people maybe weren't saying this, but like with Giannis, okay, this guy's going to put up the same numbers every year. He's won back to back MVPs, but like at a certain point, you got to win a title before we can give you the next one, uh, which will make this year interesting on some level. But I don't think he's going to win. But it would be like that same sort of thing with with Gobert at a certain point, where like if, if you're still if the defense you play for is still showcasing the same problems at a certain point, how many of these can we give you? But I think mm-hmm. again, there are numbers that would suggest that like, I think you can make a case for him. Um, you know, I think Giannis is someone that just game to game, his impact jumps off the screen at you. We, we started the podcast by talking about how impactful he's been in some of these high leverage games that everybody's watching. Um, and for someone that probably won't quite get the MVP, do people lean in a different direction maybe with a vote like this um, with someone that maybe has the best name recognition of all the guys that are going to be considered for this? Um, so I, I don't know. I, I'm really intrigued to see where people finish in this because I think it could go a number of different directions. But I think Smart would be deserving. And I, I don't think by any means it would be just like a career achievement award for him. I think he's been that good this year. For a team that, like, when they're at their best defensively, I don't feel, feel like anybody's touching them. So I did not have you do your first and second team all defensive teams, Chris. Can I read you mine? And then I'm going to make you pencil in your top three for your ballot, okay? Sorry. I'm going to give you a minute to think about it. I've got them all listed. I've got, like, four or five people listed with no ranking. No, sorry. I haven't. You, you, you have to rank them. I have to vote. I have to actually vote. So I'm making clear with every disclaimer that this is, it's not a final vote. Like I'm, gonna, I'm I'm using this weekend to study everything and to look over everything. That's anyway, fine. Go we're gonna we're gonna snapshot where you are in this moment in time. Okay, so my uh, my two all defensive teams. Now I feel like the Utah Jazz fans out there are very upset that I did not have Rudy Gobert on my ballot. Um, he's certainly deserving. So what I did was uh, my two forwards on my first team are Bam and Jaron Jackson Jr. And I'm sliding Bam into forward. I don't care. You can vote for him at forward. He has no position. Doesn't matter to me. I'm trying to get the five best defenders that I can think of reasonably on this list. Um, two guards are Marcus Smart and Matisse Thybul. Uh Thybul's great. Nothing really to say there. And then for center, first team center, I'm going to have Rudy Gobert. So Utah Jazz fans, get off my back. Thank you. Um, second team, I have my two forwards. I have Giannis. And I have Evan Mobley of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, my two guards for second team are Mikael Bridges, who we mentioned, have to get a son on there, and Gary Payton II, who is, by advanced metrics, like the greatest defender in the history of basketball. And second team center, I have uh, Rob Williams of the Boston Celtics. Hmm. Okay. 
So, Chris, I hope that I gave you enough time. No, don't worry. No one is go. No one is going to um, I, punish you, Michael. I hate you so much because this is like this is a safe space. Just tell us, like this is like being in a confession room with the police. This is a safe space. No one's going to harm you. <laughs> And then, like, the minute this comes out, bro, like, I hate you so much. Um, I, I feel like I could hear, like, the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire music playing in the background where I, like, want to phone a friend or something. Um, so, I, I mean, in some order for right now where I've got it, I would probably put Giannis in my top three. But, again, some of that is so based Giannis on... Giannis is three? Probably I would have <laughs> No no no. Actually no. I take that back. I don't but this is what I'm saying. I don't have a an order. I don't even know if this it's is okay. what I You're everyone understands that you're gonna have the weekend. You have we have until I think April eleventh is when we have to submit these ballots by. You're right. okay. You you're you're so, you're you're, you're okay I would probably have I, I would probably have Giannis three, Bam two, and Smart at one, Bam being in my conversation in a year where maybe he normally normally he might not be because of the games missed and everything but in light of the fact that everybody has missed time I'm not as worried about that including most of these guys everybody on this list basically has missed time uh but Marcus and and you know it's been relatively durable so I that's kind of how I would go with it um I I think you've got cases for basically everybody I think Jaron Jackson has a, a, a very good clo- a very good case with this team for a team that's been really, really good all year. Um, a team that's been really, really good, quite frankly, when we talk about all the reasons the, the Grizzlies have been so great with Ja, uh, with ja off the floor and out of, you know, out of commission is that their defense kind of takes a, a new level when he's not there. And I think that some of that is Jaron Jackson Jr. just kind of showing off how good he is. So I... I'm not, by no means, is this my final list. I mean, I'm going to go back through it, and I'm going to study it, and I'm going to really go No, you said Marcus Smart was number one. I hate you so much, bro. That's what you said. Sorry, Chris. And I'm also trying to make sure that I don't just have a bias here for the fact that there hasn't been a guard to win it in a long time. But, like, I, I, I can say definitively Smart will end up in my top three somewhere, whether he wins it or not. But I'm going to go back through it and kind of look over everything. Okay, that's fair. Uh, real quick, let's run through most improved player, which there's just a million candidates. Okay. Uh, Zach, Zach Lowe and David Thorpe did a whole episode on it, and it was great. Everyone should go listen to that podcast episode. We're just going to spend like a couple minutes here. Um, I'm going to give you my top three. You give me three guys, and I guess I would really appreciate it if you could order them, but I know that's very difficult for you, Chris. Yep. Um, so my three that I think are going to be on my ballot, and this is subject to change, uh, are uh, number three, Jordan Poole, the Golden State Warriors. It's been ridiculous. Your boy, your Michigan brethren. Um, number two, Desmond Bain. I normally hate doing second-year players or third-year players. I understand that both of these guys break that rule, but the leaps that they've made are just beyond impressive and as well as Tyrese Maxey you could make a case you could throw him on here for that exact reason you could throw John Morant on here for that exact reason um my number one most improved player is DeJounte Murray and that's just because 
he went from I understand the contextual nature of his of his statistical leap, but anytime you go from like uh, whatever he was last season, like very good or quality starting point guard who's like the third option kind of second option, but like in crunch time, n- no option <laughs> because DeMar DeRozan was on the team to, okay, here are the keys and you're going to do everything. And the Spurs, by the way, might make the plan, which is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and he made, he became an all-star this year, which very few people expected. Like, so that type of leap in year, I think this is year five for him. Um, that is, that's award worthy for me. Um, so he continues to just improve. The defense is not lessened either as his offense has improved. I think he leads the league in steals. So deflects everything, guards the opponent, opposing point guard every night. So DeJounte is my, my most improved player. I don't think I'm going to switch that around. Yeah, no, he he's actually who I have. Well, I have him in my pole position too. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm going to come off that, but I could be maybe convinced. Um, I mean, he's been, I, I think that the role that he's been asked to assume, and granted, like someone like Poole has had a lot of moments where he's had to step in and more or less be the guy because obviously Clay is still new to coming back and, you know, and, you know, I think most of us can say, like, hasn't quite looked like exactly the clay that we're used to. Feels like he's forcing a little bit. Um, Draymond is a star, but not the sort of star that, like, really fills up, you know, your scoring part of the the box score. Um, and Steph, when he misses time or if he's missed time, like, he basically is kind of playing the role of, okay, I'll do this, which is, is huge uh, for a team like that. So I have pool third on my list, which I was reluctant to even do that. You were saying second-year guys you really don't like to put on your ballot. I don't even really like to have third-year guys on my yeah, ballot if, if yeah. we're keeping it a buck because I, I just think, yeah, of course players grow and, and expand their games in year two, year three. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, so I kind of prefer to have guys that are mid – I won't say mid-career, but like at least in their fourth year because by that point you could at least think that maybe their game has started to level out. And if they then take a jump, then then it's maybe not as expected because you thought you knew who they were. So um, I want to say like Oladipo was like a pretty good example. Giannis was a guy that I think for him it was like year four. It wasn't year three or year two, it. certainly. Um, Maxi is a guy that I think stood out to a lot of people. Garland is another guy that's taken a, a really nice yep. jump this year with a much different roster and with a lot of guys that, you know, that could be like a, a mess considering some of the guys that got hurt for that team and all the point guards they lost on that team that he stepped up. But those are all guys that are in year two, year three, and I really don't like that. So Ja was another guy that I really wasn't in love with the idea of having to even consider him for this. But Poole, I'll make an exception because I just kind of feel like rarely do I make decisions based on an eye test. But if I'm doing that, like in the preseason, the eye test was like, this is going to be the most improved player this year. Um, mm-hmm. statistically, I don't feel like you get quite as much of that. He has made a, a big jump. Was it from 12 to 18 a game or whatever it is? So it's been mm-hmm. a, a jump statistically, but he's also taking a lot more shots. He's got a higher usage. He's got whole games where he's out there kind of as their lead option, which is hard to do. But, you know, as far as the efficiency is concerned, as far as, um, 
you know, the amount of his shots that he's creating versus how, what number of his shots are assisted. Like, it's actually pretty similar. It just looks a lot different because he's more audacious and the confidence is there. And he, and he deserves to have every bit of that confidence. So he, he's looked the part, but like, I think statistically other guys have stronger cases. I think Miles Bridges is a guy who I would put in number two for right now. Um, who mm-hmm. at the beginning of the season, like, he clearly looked like the guy. Um, you know, just was really impressive. Charlotte got out to a really hot start. I think I thought he was going to run off. away with the award. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it cooled off a little bit. You know, his his efficiency numbers are, are worse than what they were last year as he's taken on a bigger share of the offense. Uh, keep in mind, he, you know, for a good chunk of the year, he's playing offense with other guys that have big offensive games between Hayward and, and you know, Rozier and, and certainly LaMelo. Um, so to put up the numbers he does and kind of be like the clear-cut guy at times, I think, you, you don't say that lightly, um, so I you know I would still have him in consideration for it, but I don't think I would quite have him winning it. Dejounte is the guy I would pick. I think from an all around standpoint, he clearly has kind of stood out the most. Um, I think people forget, you know, as you look at yes, his scoring is up, and yes, he's taken more shots, but also the ball handling responsibility that he's been tasked with a year after they let go of DeRozan. Um, where it's one thing for someone's scoring to increase. It's another to watch their scoring increase and for their assist to jump the way they have. The fact that he's still a relatively young guy, the fact that he would be first in the league in triple doubles if not for the reigning MVP. Um, so, I, I mean, to me, and, and the fact that it looks like he's going to get them in the plan unless the Lakers uh, surprise us all, I, I, I just kind of feel like he's led that team uh, – not just through scoring, not just through taking more shots, but by getting other guys' shots, um, by being a, a solid, solid defender, a really good defender. Uh, so it, to me, that's not a particularly that, – that might have been the easiest one to pick. Uh, well, I guess we, we both said six-man was easy, but I don't think most improved is that difficult a choice for me, but part of that might be who I'm excluding kind of mentally from the conversation because I really do not like – that we've gone into this realm where we're talking about second year guys as even having a chance. I just think it's kind of silly based on what the award should be, but that's me. All fair. Um, this was fun and I'm glad that you are going to be sticking to everything that you said in this podcast. When you submit your official Bro. ballot, Chris, that's like Bro. hats off to you. You're a stronger man than me. I'm, I got to go Bro. back and tinker a tiny bit. Um, I hate you so much. <laughs> you're an amazing person, an amazing spirit. Um. Awesome. Well, I think, think that's going to do it for, for today's show, Chris. Uh, thank you so much for your expertise and your insight. Thank you so much to our listeners for, for writing in. Uh, please keep the emails coming to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Um, everybody, please stay safe. Everybody, please continue to enjoy the NBA season. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.